Well, good morning, Finding Life Church. <laughs> Thanks, Seth. How's everyone doing today? Excellent. Hey, would you just do me a favor and just start clapping? Maybe it's a little louder. <laughs> Clap like you're at the Husker game. <laughs> Yesterday, you're just going to eh, the golf clap. <laughs> I tell you what, you know what? I, I love being here on Sunday morning. Uh, this is a great space because when I'm sitting over there and I'm singing, I, I don't know what it is. Even though we don't fill the space, I, I hear everyone singing. And it's just so much fun to be able to worship together. And um, I, I would just encourage you. I think one of the fruit of the spirits is joy. And, you know, if we have joy in our heart, let's just respond well, right, to, to maybe a song or whatever in the message or a prayer or whatever it might be, but just respond, would you? So clapping's good. We, we, we enjoy clapping. You can talk back if you like. Um, I may not, you know, acknowledge you, but you can talk back. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> um, you can laugh. Um, anyway, but just respond, would you? That would be, that would be awesome. Um, so yeah, October 29th, we're going to be together, and I, in honor of that, I wore my um, Halloween socks, so we're good. I know it, I know it. I may get a pair for every occasion, who knows, but it'll be good. It'll be good. So um, I received, I prayed to receive Christ um, at 10 years old, and it was in the kitchen of the house that we lived in and where my mom and dad were uh, foster parents to seven, to seven boys and then it was myself and my two younger brothers. And I remember at the time that as I was praying that prayer and we walked out that I don't know if I really understood what it meant to be a follower of Christ. All I knew was that I, I wasn't going to hell. And so I, I wanted to escape that, and I wanted to be in heaven. And so, consequently, what happened is I would live my life with one foot, you know, one foot in, um, in church world, and then the other foot was in non-church world. And for me, it was a very, very confusing time in my life. And I quickly began to realize that in order for me to be um, happy and accepted in the church world part of my life was for me to be a good boy, young man, however you want to say that. And then in the other part of the world, what I quickly began to realize that for me to feel happiness in my life was that I needed to be involved in sports or needed to be good at it. Because we lived in a small town, and, and if... Um, one of the things that if you had any kind of, if you could put one foot in front of the other or you had any kind of um, sense of anything, <laughs> you played sports. That's just what you did. So that's what I did, football, basketball, track. And I quickly began to realize that I was much better at track than the other two, but that's where I put my um, energy in. And specifically in the long jump and triple jump. I know it doesn't look like it now, but that was something that I was very, very good at. Um, and <clears throat> to the point where I broke the school records, which had stood for 30 years. And um, yeah, thank you. 
I know, bring it on, come on, bring it on. <laughs> Stop it. All right, let's pray. Yeah, small town, whoa, bringing me down, I love it. <laughs> okay, we're a church that doesn't talk back. <laughs> we're feeling too comfortable already, I can see it. No, I mean, that's what it was, right? And so I felt really, really good about that. And there was this one particular meet, well, even so much so that I began to dream that, I mean, I was going to win state. And then even beyond that, and this is legit, this is what I actually was praying and dreaming about, that I was going to go to the Olympics to represent the United States in that. You know, and I was so far from that, it was pathetic. But that was my dream. That's what I wanted. And there was one particular meet where... Um, it was uh, not just the class that was participating, it was all classes, and, and there they gave you trophies for the outstanding um, track person and the outstanding field event person, and as a junior, I won both the long jump and triple jump, and I got that trophy, and it was pretty cool, because I was the first one from that school to get that. Secondly, everyone wanted to see it, and let me just tell you, I felt really, 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 really really good about who I was as a person. I knew that it was temporary because it was a traveling trophy and I needed to bring it back next year. Next year rolls around my senior year and I kept getting better and better at that. We went to the meet. I again won both the long and triple and they gave me um, the outstanding field event award, the trophy or whatever it was, what it is, and um, they said, all right, no one's ever done this in the 12-year history of this meet, and so you get to keep the trophy. And I go, what? I mean, <laughs> that was awesome. I mean, and there's some good names on there, probably ones that you know, because you live on the east, and we live on the eastern part of the state, but there, that was more in the western part. But there were some good names, and I'm just going, man, this is, this is like the pinnacle for me. And people are just going to, flock and it's going to be exciting and I'm going to have to turn down requests for dates and all that kind of stuff, you know. <laughs> and I quickly began to realize that that wasn't the case. I mean, I came home and it was fun on the drive home and I put the trophy in my room and the world just kept going. I mean, didn't they realize that I just won this thing two years in a row? And no, it doesn't, doesn't matter. And so um, I thought that this trophy or what it represented would be the formula for my happiness. Trying hard, right? Trying hard and doing well in whatever I tried hard at would equal happiness. And I found out that that trophy wasn't going to cut it, so then I had to keep going. I had to keep topping that and keep topping that, and pretty soon sports was out of my life, and it projected to other things. And I quickly began to realize, right, that that wasn't going to be it for me. It was just this continual cycle. And I don't know where you're at this morning, um, and maybe this resonates with you. Maybe it's not a trophy. Maybe it's not something that's um, sporting in that type of nature. Maybe it's money for you. Maybe it's status. Maybe it's having friends. Maybe it's 
um, being significant in, in some way or some fashion. Maybe it's you uh, serving here at Finding Life, or maybe it's you starting a nonprofit and becoming successful in that. I don't know what it is for you. But have you found in that that it satisfies? And I don't care what Snickers says, nothing right on this earth is going to satisfy you ever, long term, all the time. And what I found for me is that this was a continual thing that I was becoming exhausted in and continually frustrated. There was temporary relief. And then I would go back down to this like, ah, I don't feel so good. And then there would be this temporary thing that people go, oh, great job, or whatever it was, and I would feel better. And it just kept going, and I was exhausted, and I was tired. And maybe you feel that same way or have felt that same way. And I'm going to say that I I, um, did feel that way. And there's a reason why it's changed for me. It's because I began to understand fully what I did as a 10-year-old in the kitchen of my mom and dad's house. I began to understand the full depth of the gospel, this great news of Jesus Christ and what he did, what God did by sending his son. And I want to tell you, when I began to realize the full breadth of the gospel, that it absolutely changed my life. It did. It began to change me, that old song, from the inside out. That is literally what happened in my life. And so I want to tell you something, that as long as God has me as one of the people that are on staff here at Finding Life Church, this is something that we are going to believe in, is that we believe that the gospel changes everything. Not just your Um, what happens on Sunday, not just this, but it's going to change your relationship as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a mom, as a grandfather, as a grandma. It's going to change everything, how you work, how you play, how you talk, how you think. It's going to change everything. And I'm here to tell you that it just doesn't make me a Christian. What it does is it makes me human as God intended me to be. And now in that, I'm beginning to learn over and over, or or more and more and more, is how to live my identity, right? That's grounded in who God is, what he's done, and now who I am, and then what am I I supposed to do? I'm learning how to live that in the everyday stuff of my life. Look at this definition. The gospel is the news that through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God accomplished salvation for us, rescuing us from judgment for sin, 
into fellowship with him, and then we will restore the creation in which we can enjoy our new life together with him forever. And so here's the first thing, that the gospel is news. I want to tell you that the gospel is news. It's this great news rather than instruction. That's the first thing we need to understand, that the gospel is news rather than instruction. And so this Greek term gospel, this, this evangelion, right, distinguished the Christian message from every other message that was beginning to um, be espoused during that time. And so this, an evangel was, some, was news of a great historical event, of a great historical event that changed the listener's condition and also required response. So it would be something like a victory, right, of, in a war or the ascension of a new king. That was, that's what evangel means. That's what it would do. It would, um, it would um, change the listener's right condition and also required a response in them. And so the gospel is news of what God has done to accomplish salvation through Jesus Christ, his son, in history. That's important. It's not advice about what we must do to reach God. It's an actual historical event, and then we are to respond to that. And so the point is this, is that we do not achieve the salvation, right? We only accept it. So here's the second point. The gospel is grace rather than merit, right? God accomplished salvation for us. So here is the deal. The gospel is this. I am accepted through Christ, therefore I obey. Anything other than that is this. I obey, therefore I'm accepted. That's what I was getting confused as a 10-year-old and even to the, to the early part of my 20s, is that I was getting that confused. I was thinking that the gospel was, I obey, therefore I'm accepted, rather than I am completely accepted, which is what we've been talking about for the last three weeks or so. I'm accepted through Christ, therefore, because of that, out of love, out of complete obedience to what he's done, knowing what I've been saved from, I now obey. Not because I have to, but because I want to. And so the gospel differs from um, both religion and irreligion. And this is what I mean by that, that you can seek to be your own Lord and Savior, right? You can do that. And you can do that by breaking the law of God. But you can also do that by keeping the law to earn your salvation. So there's two things that you can do there. So disbelief in the gospel of grace, right, is keeps that, the, the person who doesn't know Christ, it keeps him from God. But a lack of deep belief in the gospel, and I want you to hear this clearly because I think this is where it trips us up a lot of times, is also the main cause of spiritual deadness, right? It's fear and, it, and it's pride. So it's a cause of deadness in our hearts. It's a cause of fear in our life, and it's a cause of pride. Because why? Because our hearts continue to act on the basis of I obey, therefore I am accepted. Let me give you some examples of that. Um, our failure to forgive one another is not simply a lack of obedience that we need to forgive, but it's really a failure to believe we are saved by grace. You catch that connection there? Our lying to cover up 
a mistake is not simply a lack of obedience, but a failure to find our acceptance in God rather than human approval, right? Um, and so here is the point, is that we, don't, we do not get saved by believing the gospel and then grow by trying hard to live according to the principles of the Bible, Believing the gospel is not only the way to meet God, but it's also the way that we grow to love him. We grow up into him. The third thing is the gospel is the reversal of the weak and the strong. Right? Christ, he won our salvation through losing. Right? He um, was obedient to his heavenly father. He went to the cross. He died. And in essence, the world would say he lost. But we know that's different, right? So he won our salvation through losing. He achieved power through weakness and service. And he came to wealth by giving it all away. And so those of us who have received his salvation are not the strong, right, and the accomplished, but those who are going to admit that they are weak and that they are lost. I mean, that's what it's going to take to receive Christ as our Savior, to realize that I'm lost and to realize that I'm weak. And so then this pattern becomes this alternate kingdom or city that Christ talks about in the Gospels, where there is a complete reversal of the values. This is where it comes, right? This is this new thing when he says in John 13, 34, and 35 that the world is going to know that you're my disciples by how you love one another. It's this complete reversal. This alternate kingdom that he wants us as brothers and sisters to display to the world against what the world values and that's power and its status and its wealth. When we understand that we can be saved by sheer grace and nothing else through Christ, this is what we begin to do. We begin to stop seeking salvation in other things, in a trophy, in money, in status, in whatever it is, in having relationships and friends, or whatever it is that you're seeking salvation from, we begin to stop seeking it there because we have received it by sheer grace from Jesus Christ. The cross liberates us from the bondage of the power of material things and worldly status. There's implications for this. It means that we no longer look with disdain on someone who we used to think was beneath us. We become free to serve. We become free to love others sacrificially and joyfully. And so the point of that third one is this. The way of life that embodies the gospel is a life of sacrificial service for the least and the lowest. And so this is the good news, the gospel, I want to say, of Jesus Christ. And we believe 
that it changes everything. And I want you to just say that with me, okay? Can you do that? We believe that it changes everything. On the count of three, one, two, three. We believe that it changes everything. Let's do it again in a little louder with more meaning. One, two, three. We believe. I mean, absolutely. Thank you for saying that. And when we, when we believe that it changes everything, this is what we're going to do as a church, is that we can then, as a foundation, we can then move from Sunday to the everyday. And I think that this, or we can move beyond Sunday to the everyday. This is where we've been at as a church, not just finding life church, but as a church as a whole, is that we've just been conditioned to think that Sunday morning is it for me. And I can begin to compartmentalize my life and not let it infuse what happens on Monday through Saturday. But when we truly believe the gospel and we truly believe that it changes everything, then it has to move beyond Sunday into the everyday. So that everything I do with my kids and when I wake up and where I work and whatever it is, is infused with gospel intentionality. Not because I have to, just because it's who I am as a person, as a son, as a daughter. I mean, this is just what we're going to do. Look at this in um, Scripture. The book of Titus. It's at the end of the New Testament. And I want, to, want you to turn there if you got your Bible. You can, can write in it and mark it up, or you can use your smartphone, whatever you want to do, or you can look up on the screen. Um, but Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. And the writer of Titus gives us this beautiful picture of the church. And I want you just to listen to this description. For the grace of God, the beautiful, beautiful grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us or trains us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. This, that's not right. The appearing, <laughs> the spearing, sorry. Scratch that. That's what happens when you type that so fast. You can't really read that either. But it's the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify her for himself a people that are, that are his very own. I, mean, I just love this. This is what he's doing in our lives. Purify for himself a people. That's you and I that are here, that are here for his very own. Eager, eager, eager to do what is good. These then are the things that you should teach, not just me, but each one of us. Encourage then and rebuke with all authority and do not let anyone despise you. I mean, that's just a beautiful, beautiful picture here in the book of Titus. And Paul, who wrote this, is emphasizing the work of God on each one of our lives, this grace of God that here. He's also, um, this word, trains, this word teaches, right, is describing the shaping that goes on in her life. And it's a word that means 
wrestling or arguing. And it's a perfect picture of how grace works its way into our hearts and begins to to wear away at our self-righteousness, at our individualism, and and our longings for comforts that, that is the American dream. And it's as that grace is being worked in, um, we also look forward, right, to eager anticipation of being someday um, Jesus' return and being with him in his heavenly kingdom. And to live then not our life, to live, to begin to live our life now with this increasing freedom from the, uh, um, from the calls, from the alluring calls of uh, the immediate, you know, that trophy thing, the immediate pleasures of this world. And then we begin to be a family, a community formed together and, and individually and as a group, we surrender our lives to King Jesus and then we are made zealous, we're eager for good works and we give our lives to the mission and the ministry of making disciples. I mean, this is exactly what, what Paul described in the book of Titus in that chapter, in those verses, is exactly what we've been trying to say for the last weeks here when we were talking about gospel identity. And I want you to listen to this because this is just who we are, and this is who we're going to be, and this is what I'm going to say over and over again, that the church is the people of God, by the grace of God, doing the works of God for the glory of God. That's just what we are about. And the church has a singleness of purpose in making much of Jesus by making disciples. Um, There's certain people that struggle with growth in a church. And, And I don't understand that because if... If we understand this foundation and understand the gospel, then we understand that the gospel changes everything. Then we understand that it moves from Sunday to the everyday. Then everything that we do is infused with that. I mean, how can it not be attractive? We're going to be doing something that's way different than what the world is. And then we're going to begin to have the fruit of the Spirit in our life and love and joy and peace and self-control. All those things begin to be manifested in us. And people see that and they're attracted to that. And they're going to ask why. And you're going to proclaim and you're going to share and you're going to tell the story. And they're going to come to know Christ. I mean, what begins to happen is that you're going to begin to make disciples who then make disciples because you just can't help but let it overflow into your life. And when that happens, we begin to grow. I just don't understand. Anyway, side tangent. Right, but that's just what is about our singleness of purpose as a church is to make much of Jesus. It's not about me, it's not about you, but to make much of Jesus so that we can begin to make disciples who make disciples. And some are going to stick and some are going to go out, but I believe the church will grow. I really, really do. Because the gospel creates a people. And as a result, the people begin to live radically different lives. The real challenge for us 
because we've been conditioned for so long, is to um, begin to realize that the church is no longer an event that we go to, but it's a whole new way of life, which you are beginning to increasingly become more and more conformed to. We see that in the book of Acts all the way through. That you really can't be his disciple and live this version of life that we have just described and continue to move in other directions. There's going to be moments where we're going to struggle, and I get that. But we're always going to be corrected, correcting ourselves, and that's why we have people in our life to help us with that, and we're going to keep moving forward in our walk with Christ and to, begin, to being conformed in him and to understand that we have this mission and we're going to be motivated by this love that Christ has for us. Sorry. And that we're sent by his spirit. And that to me is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that's what this whole thing is, is that we are growing into our identities. And what we're doing then is taking this regular stuff of life, right, and we're infusing that, this regular stuff, with gospel intentionality. In other words, I'm, we're, I don't, Jesus is not asking you to do anything more than what you're doing right now, eating, getting up, eating, sleeping, and living your life. What he's asking you to do is to infuse those things with gospel intentionality, and that begins to change everything you now go to work not just to earn money and to earn respect. You go to work now to please your Heavenly Father. I mean, such a different vantage point and different perspective of why we do what we do. It's also beginning to understand that um, there's this growing um, awareness of God's presence the Holy Spirit lives in my life and there's this ongoing awareness of God's presence in my life in each conversation with each person in every situation. We just begin to understand that. We begin to live our life. And I understand that we still struggle. And I get it, right? That we're not going to get this right 100% of the time. And that's okay. And that's why we say, right, that real is better than perfect. But I want, you to, I want to be completely honest here this morning and I shouldn't say that because whenever somebody says that, then they're not being completely honest before. So I'm not going to say that. Scratch that. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Here's the deal. When, when we say real is better than perfect, what we're doing is we're recognizing that our mess-ups in life, right? We're, we're um, recognizing that we're becoming self-aware and we're just going to be open with that to the people that are close to us, to the church family, whatever it is, and it's much better than, right, than pretending that everything is okay and that we put on this mask when we come to church, when we go to our small group, or whatever relationship we might have with another brother and sister. And we put on this mask and we pretend that everything is okay. So being real, right, understanding what's going on and all of that is much better than pretending that we're perfect. But I want to say something here that I think we struggle with is that sometimes we stop there. We stop right there. And I want us to understand that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. 
It's okay to be real, right? Let's give ourselves permission with that. And I want you to feel comfortable with that. God knows I mess up a lot. But there's a second part to that phrase, that it's okay to not be okay. Because I believe that God doesn't want us to stay there. Right? He doesn't want us to stay there. It's okay to recognize. It's okay to be self-aware. But we can't stop there. We can't just wear that as a badge of honor. We need to move beyond that because I don't believe God wants you to stay there. I, once, I believe that he wants you to grow in the likeness of who he is. And the fruit of the Spirit will begin to become evident in your life. And so that's why, as a church, that we are going to regularly ask, how are you doing? How are we doing? We can do that individually, but we're going to do that as a church, right? Because here's something that I begin to realize that as I read Scripture, that there's really only probably three broad categories that, that God says, I'm going to remove my manifested presence from this church body. And it's very sobering to read these three things. And the first is that um, we find that in, in Revelation where it says he's talking to this church and they're doing just great, great things. But he said, I, this one thing I have against you is that you have lost your first love. Right? You have lost your first love, which is your love for me as dad. Your love for my son as Savior, your love for the Holy Spirit as a guide in your life. Second thing is that there's a lack of holiness. God is holy, and His and our holiness is important to God because if our personal holiness in other words, if we won't quit sinning on a particular sin or if we begin to have a hard heart toward um, the Holy Spirit pricking our hearts and saying, hey, this is not right, let's repent. If we, we ignore that, then this lack of personal ho holiness in our life is going to begin to reflect then on who God is and that's not what God wants. And so it's a loss of our first love, it's a lack of holiness, and then the third thing is is our worship impure? That is an H. Our worship impure. And worship as defined here, we see that in Amos and James and Matthew, is not one we're singing on a Sunday morning. Our worship is more than that. He says our worship, a pure and undefiled worship, is when you reach out to the widow, when you reach out to the lost, when you reach out to the least of these, when you reach out to the poor, that to me is pure worship. And when a church begins to um, be more concerned about theology and more concerned about studying the Bible and then forgets to actually, quote unquote, live what they're reading, then God says, I don't like that. Your worship is impure and I'm going to remove my presence from you and I don't want that to happen anywhere but especially here at Finding Life Church.
Um, I'm going to go overtime. Sorry. <laughs> Forgive me. But I, I can't. I got to keep going. Sorry. So here's the deal is that one of the things that we miss is that we, we read and then it is a disconnect between what we read and our heart. And, and we don't live. And, and, and the answer, the key to this is this word right here is implementation. Is that my girls, when they were growing up, they would, um, we would tell them the truth and we would tell them this, these are our boundaries. And when they would um, cross over that, we would have a discussion, a very nice, gentle discussion. And um, <laughs> it wasn't always that way. Um, but more often than not, the girls would respond back to me or my wife and they would go, I know, I know, Dad, or I know, I know, Mom, just quit telling me. <laughs> and we would go, Ugh. okay, then do what you know, right? And that's what we do with God, is that we'll read his scripture, <clears throat> and we'll go, I know, I know, and we'll listen to someone talk about the gospel, and we'll go, I know, I know, and God is going, well, then why don't you do what you know? And that's just hard for us. And so I want to give you some tools to help in that. And here's five questions, and I'll email this to you if you want, and you can email me at kevin at findinglifechurch.com, and I'll email them to you so you don't have to write them all down quickly because we're going to go through them really fast. But here are five questions that you can ask yourself daily to help in this implementation of what you know to be true and what God wants you to do. And here's the first one. How is Jesus calling me to live today motivated by the amazing truth of who he is and what he's done for me? Number two. Number two. How is Jesus calling me to live out my identity today as his missionary servant? Number three. How is Jesus calling me to live in a rhythm of dependence? I love that word. Today, upon the Holy Spirit that he has given to me as my helper, helping me bear his fruit throughout the day. Number four, how does Jesus want me to be a faithful steward today of all the good gifts, relationships, opportunities, and resources he has blessed me with? And then number five, how does Jesus want me to pursue purity and holiness today as I seek his help to flee temptation and go to him with a humble and repentant heart when I fail? If you would do that every day, if you would begin to do that every day, I, I want you to, um, to just um, ask yourself, right, what, or not ask yourself, but to, to um, think through what difference it's going to make and to do some um, evaluation, right? And to see if, um, to see the difference from when you start to when you end this, if you do these five things. Here's something that you can do weekly. The beginning of the week. How can I spend my time this week for Jesus' purposes at work, at home, in my neighborhood, and et cetera? Number two, how can I steward my money and resources this week for Jesus' purposes? Whom should I bless? How? How often? How can I work, rest, recreate, eat, celebrate, learn, worship, and pray this week for Jesus' purposes? And whom does Jesus want me to love, serve, and demonstrate the gospel to this week? 
And whom does Jesus want me to proclaim the gospel to this week? How and what? I mean, try this for a month and see if it doesn't begin to, if you don't begin to notice a shift in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, and in your actions. Here's my trophy. I keep it because um, my girls would use it as a plaything. I'm not sure what in their grand imagination it became, but it became a lot of different things. Lately, my wife has been using it for a doorstop. (laughs) You notice it's missing the beautiful figurine on top. Um, but I keep it because it's an incredible reminder to me that whatever the world is going to offer is temporary and it never, never satisfies. And that I don't have to constantly perform to gain someone's approval because I already have the only approval that I need and that is my Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray that you can get there too. I mean, I don't know what your trophy is. And it's my prayer as your pastor that this church is going to do crazy stuff for God. I believe that in the bottom of who I am, that God has purposed that you are here and you're Each have different unique gifts and abilities. But I'm going to tell you, it starts with you. It doesn't, I mean, it starts with me, but I'm not the one lead pastor that's going to get this going. And Travis, as the other pastor, is not the one also. It it takes all of us. And it takes all of us understanding and working through all those things that we just got done talking about. Right? Because I really believe that the gospel changes everything. I really believe that we need to move from Sunday to the everyday. I really believe that we need to begin to ask ourselves, how are we doing? And I really believe that in order for this to work, we need to take that one more step, and that's to implement this in our life, to be obedient to do. (laughs) We do this, and let me tell you, it's going to get crazy in here. (laughs) Are you okay with crazy? (laughs) Come on now. Yeah, it's going to be good. <laughs> and I'm just going just gonna to ask you this one thing. What's holding you back? What's holding you back right now from just letting go and letting God in your life? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray for myself. God, I pray for my wife. I pray for my three daughters, God, and their husbands and their boyfriend. And I pray that each person here and those that were not able to to be here, God, this morning, that they would begin to um, get a true sense of who you are, God, that the fruit of your spirit that's in their life will become increasingly more and more and more. 
And God, that you would give them the strength, that you would give them the strength, Father. Um, and not something that's our own, but the strength that can only come from you, Father, from your spirit. And you would give us the strength to fight this ongoing battle between one foot in the world and one foot, God, with you. And that we would lift that one foot in the world and we firmly plant it, Father, with you. And you would give us that power. You would give us that strength. And God, help us. Help us this ongoing battle to disconstruct, God, disconstruct this unbelief that we have. And God, to reconstruct a belief in who you are and what you've done and now then who we are rightly. And then from that, God, let us live. And I pray, Father, with the I cannot communicate the level and depth of what's going on right now, God, but I pray that you will unleash, God, your spirit on everyone here in this church and let us influence, Father, and be a shining light and be salt in all of that, God, to wherever we're at in our workplace, our neighborhood, and our families. So, God, with that, we pray these things in Jesus' name.